This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. We've been delivered from corruption and we, we get our glorified bodies, so too creations. And saints know that this is going to be an awesome, glorious day. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah gave us the prophecy of this time. He gave us a picture in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. He says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. As believers in Christ, it can be fairly easy for us to have a limited perspective on the great and glorious day of redemption. While many of us are prone to think of redemption as exclusive to mankind, the Bible teaches us that creation is included. In today's message, Pastor Eddie teaches us about the restoration of all creation that will occur on the day of redemption. In our study, we learn that much more than those who put their faith in Christ will be witnesses of a new heaven and new earth. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 8 for today's edition of Running the Race. Genesis chapter 3, this is when the fall of man took place, that God, the order of, of, you know, God giving the curse because of the sin. He first cursed the serpent. He said, he shall crawl in the belly and shall eat his dust, eat the dust. He cursed Eve, the woman. He said, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. And when he got to the man, Adam. This is where Adam wanted a lawnmower, right here. He wanted a rider. He wanted a big one. But because of man, the ground was cursed and he had to work the ground until he returns to the ground. And so we see the parallels. We see here that it labor pains. You know, we see that the earth has this labor pain and it's the ground in creation. We see the parallels here. It's consistent. And when we study Revelation, you're going to find that these very things that God created is the very things God's going to destroy during the Great Tribulation. God always had a plan. But creation, we, you know, it's waiting. It's waiting for us to have our glorified bodies. In verse 20, it says, For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subject it in hope. Against its own will, because of the fall of man, all the creation was subject to God's curse, was subject to fertility. But because of him, because of Christ, referring to Christ in capital H in your, in your Bibles, because of him, because of Christ, who's subject creation to fertility and vanity, he also subject them with the same hope. The same hope, what's that same hope? The same hope that we have for our bodies. That Christ will come and give us our glorified bodies. It says, for the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjugate in hope, verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption 
into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labor with birth pangs together until now. Just as a mother groans in labor and birth pangs, she's there delivering the child in birth, you know, in labor and groaning and sticking her nails into her husband's forearms. I know that. I've been through it three times. Got the scars. Not just kidding. It, the groaning is there. The groaning is there. And you know, I haven't realized that with those who are departing, their souls are departing from their bodies. Not too long ago, as my mother-in-law passed away, seeing her there in, in the bed, just fading away little by little. She was on her deathbed. You see the moaning, the breathing, just signs of birth of a new life. And that's what it's all about for the believer. It's the birth of a new life. So creation is moaning and groaning and labor and birth pains for the day of our glorious liberty. Yours, they're waiting. And you know that's why when you see the earth quakes and shakes, it shakes and quakes because of sin. Because it's waiting. You know, it's like when a woman gives birth, the contractions come more and more. Jesus says there will be a various place and it will continue on. And we get, we're getting more and more earthquakes as we move on. Just like a woman, the contractions get closer and more severe. That's how it is for the new earth. And they're just waiting. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8, he said, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrow. That's the New Living Translation, the word sorrow there. But the word sorrow there in the Greek is odin. Odin, which means birth pangs. The earth is getting ready for the new earth. And so just as we've been delivered from corruption and we, we get our glorified bodies, so too creations. And saints know that this is going to be an awesome, glorious day. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah gave us the prophecy of this time. He gave us a picture in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. He says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the winged child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. You don't have to crowd, Junior, get your hand out of that viper's den. It's going to be peace. That's the way God has planned it from the very beginning. And that's what's going to happen with the new heaven and the new earth. And so Paul says in verse 23, he says, not only that, in other words, not only creation, but we also 
will have the first fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit of the Spirit. The first fruit is an Old Testament expression referring to the first part of the harvest. And Paul is referring the Holy Spirit coming into our lives as the first fruit. When we first surrender our lives to Christ, Holy Spirit comes in us, dwells in us. And that is when we surrender, he comes in, we receive the Holy Spirit. But we also who have the first root of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. It's just like the world is waiting for this new, new earth, so is our bodies. I mean, some of you feel like that this morning. I feel like that this morning. Your body's groaning. And so you feel it. You know, you're waiting for this new glorified body. I can't wait for my glorified body. You ever thought about how you're going to look when you get to heaven? What's number one for me? You guys know this. Okay, you guys are good. I'm a little bit a foot taller, maybe. Glorified body, can't wait. Can't wait. And though, although we have the first fruit of spirit guaranteeing our eventual deliverance, we will groan for that day, that glorious day for the redemption of our body. All oh, the body is just craving for a new one, isn't it? Verse 24, it says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? We are saved in this hope. It's a hope that we did not see or witness with our physical eyes. You know, when I look at this faith and this hope, I I, I just think about Thomas all the time. I love doubting Thomas. I love this guy. When I see him in heaven, I'm going to kiss him in the cheek. Because of what he has done, it caused the Lord to just say the most beautiful words. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples. At this time, Thomas was not there. So Thomas meets up with the disciples after Jesus left. And the disciples say, hey, Thomas, we saw Jesus. And what did Thomas say? John chapter 20, verse 25 He says, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and my hand into his side, I will not believe. How often we do that. I got to see it to believe it. That shouldn't be the language of a Christian when it comes to the things of God. But because of what he said, I love him, not because of his unbelief, but because of his unbelief, had Jesus Christ say the most beautiful words that just motivates me today and hopefully it motivates you. What did Jesus say to Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29? Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you see, you see me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who are the ones who have not seen Jesus? As any of us here saw Jesus physically, Have any of us here saw the crucified Jesus? We see Jesus on the cross. Has any of us saw the resurrected Jesus, physical body? No. You haven't seen. Why do you believe? You believe. And Jesus said, blessed are you who has not seen, but believe. And saints, that is awesome to know that you're blessed because you believe. And that's the way it works with God. In Hebrews, it tells us, is without faith, it's impossible to please God. Your walk and your relationship with God, it requires faith. 
It's impossible to please him. It says, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope, verse 25, for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You know, throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see and learn all kinds of examples of hope and faith in God. However, if you want the definition of faith and hope, is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. This is the definition. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And for homework, you want to read the rest of chapter 11. Because the rest of chapter 11 is what many scholars and teachers call it the hall of faith. In there, the right of the book of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, mentions all these godly men and women of faith throughout scripture. Hope that is seen is not hope. And we just proved that case in point. We didn't see Jesus. We didn't see the crucified Jesus. We didn't see the resurrected Jesus, but we believe in Christ. We believe in his death. We believe in his resurrection and we have yet to see his return, but we hope and we know. It's a hope that we know he's coming for his church. He's coming for us. So too, also when it comes to the body, the the redemption of our glorified bodies, we have yet to see the deliverance of our corruption. We have yet to see a glorified body. Now, we, have, we live in a world where plastic surgery and all kinds of things is a multi-billion dollar business. Everybody wants to change how they look. Imagine what your glorified body is going to be. You save your money. It's free. We have yet to see our deliverance from corruption. We have yet to see our new glorified bodies. We have yet to see the glory that lies ahead. We have yet to see the new heaven and the earth. But we believe and we, we have this hope. We have this hope. Now, our hope that is in Christ is not the same as the hope in the world. It's two different hopes. But those who believe in Christ, believe in his word, believe in his promises, hope is different from that of the world. A worldly hope is this. I hope it's going to happen, but I'm unsure it's going to happen. I just hope. I'm not too sure. I don't know. Compared to the hope of those in Christ, I hope and I know it will happen because God said it will happen. That's it. It's a different hope. It's a different hope. Those in the world outside of salvation of Christ have no hope. There's no hope in life. They have no hope in what lies ahead of them. They have no hope in life after death. What lies ahead? I don't know. I hope I get to heaven. When we understand doctrine and and what salvation is and where we stand in Christ as those who once were condemned, justified, sanctified, and glorified, we know we're going to heaven. It's not what we've done. It's what Jesus has done on the cross. You see, there is a different hope. We don't have that hope. We don't have a worldly hope. We have a godly biblical hope. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. Now, those that fall asleep in Jesus different from those that have fallen asleep, those that have died. And Paul says, lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. He does. We don't sorrow as the way the world does when 
a believer and a saint dies and goes, goes to be with the Lord, we don't mourn like the way the world does because they don't know. If they only knew what Paul wrote here, but what awaits us and what's in heaven, we would never want to come back. I don't know how Lazarus felt when Jesus called him back. Lazarus, come forth. Oh, Jesus, it was so good. Why? Why? All right, Lord, you're the Lord. <laughs> I'm being obedient. That's why I say, if I'm dying, listen, my wife already knows. Pray for God's will. And they say, they say Mr. Pinero, you have only two days to live. Praise the Lord. Got my insurance, everything ready. Babe, you're going to be all right. I'll see you over the other side, right? That's good. Don't, again, I love what Chuck Smith always say. If I'm dying and people are praying for me and they come back to life, I'm like almost to see Jesus. Yes. And then poof. I see you in hospital food. That's going to be problems. I want to see Jesus. Please. You know, because we only know this is only temporary. And I know God would take care of my family better than I would. And because of this hope we have in Christ and his glorious return, we eagerly wait with perseverance. You know, despite the difficulty, we stand fast. Despite what we're going through in life, we stand fast. There's something greater than what we're going through right now in this life. Verse 26, I love this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. I would underline that. It's very important for us believers. And let me tell you, I am so glad that the Holy Spirit is with me to help me in my weaknesses. I cannot help myself. But it's good to know that the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit, what Jesus called him, Jesus said the helper with a capital H. And if you go to the word there, it's the parakletos. The helper, the Holy Spirit, another name for the Holy Spirit is the helper. He will help you. He will bring to remembrance the things that I have taught you. He will be in, he's with you and he's going to be in you. We studied that last week. I'm so blessed to know that the Holy Spirit is here to help me. So in this life, it's not too hard when you have the Holy Spirit. It's hard without the Holy Spirit. Because I always mess up in the flesh. But when I have the Holy Spirit to help me, to guide me. What a security to know that he's there and he doesn't leave us. It's not like I got to call, hey, listen, Holy Spirit, can you come help me out? No, he's in us. And how often we forget as sons and daughters, we don't have to live this life alone. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. One of the many ways the Holy Spirit helps us is in prayer. According uh, to the scripture here in verse 26, where we get to our knees and we don't know what God wants us to pray for, it says here, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. But according to this verse, verse 26, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for. Sure, we have a laundry list of things we want to tell God. Our prayers always tend to be so self-centered, selfish. It's about me, three people, me, myself, and I. Well, I'm not saying you have multiple personalities. I'm just saying it's always about us. Lord, help me with this. It's always about me. It's always about my health. It's always about my finances. But have we ever thought and considered, Lord, what is it that you want me to pray for? 
You want to have a, an effective, powerful prayer life? First of all, we need to pray God in spirit. Many of us, we do it in the flesh. Many of us, we just do it out of routine. Many of us, we do it out of rituals. Many of us do it just we want to score points with God. But we need to pray in the spirit and call him as we studied last week, Abba Father. We can call him Abba Father because he is our father. And so we sometimes come with this long laundry list of things we want. Saints first pray in the spirit and glorify God in his holiness and how beautiful he is. Can I tell you, when you study all the prayers of our scriptures, you're going to find that the, every godly man and woman in the scriptures that began their prayer always glorify God first. When I was in Sunday school, they told me, this is how you should pray and should remember this. I'm not legalistic to it, but I think it's a good tool. And is the acronym which spells out ACTS, A-C-T-S. First, start out with adoration. Glorify God. Even the Lord's Prayer is not really the Lord's Prayer. It's the Lord's instruction how to pray. When they ask, Lord, teach us how to pray, that's what the Lord did. He taught them how he says. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he said, well, Lord, these misfits, this motley crew of guys you gave me, what are you doing to me? No, he said, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You pray, God, adoration, glorify him. And then C is for confession. A is for adoration, C is for confession. Repent of your sins. You say you're not, you're not, you don't sin? Come and see me after church. We all sin. We all blow it. Confess your sins to God. Repent. There are things that we blew it all the time. T is for thanks. Thanksgiving. We got to thanks God. S is supplication. First, the supplication of others than your supplication. And you see, we come to God. This is the heart we need to come to, but we don't know. If we often do get on our knees, there's a laundry list. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? All they do is they do all the talking and they talk about themselves. Don't do that to God. I'm not talking about these five-minute prayers either. Don't you spend any time. Turn off your cell phone. Get off Facebook for a while. Trust me. I got off in November. Hasn't haven't been back. And I don't miss it, to be honest. But, you know, stop the daily routine to spend time with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord. It's not five minutes. I never told my wife, honey, you got five minutes. I say that, then I'm going to have to learn how to cook one-minute rice. (laughs) I never told my daughters, oh, five minutes, you got five minutes with your dad. My dogs don't get five minutes. It takes them a long time to do what they have to do when I would take them for a walk. Why do we do that with God, these five minutes, prayers? We need to get on our knees and we don't know what we ought to pray for because we don't know. It's good to find out, Lord, what is it that you're putting in my heart and my mind? You'd be surprised when you spend a few minutes, instead of just giving God a laundry list, you pray, man, God's going to impress in your heart someone to pray for. He's going to impress in your mind a certain circumstance. He's going to put it in your heart what to pray for. Lord, what is it? What is your will? What and if you don't know, we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groaning, which cannot be uttered. I'm The book of Romans gives us a unique review of scriptural doctrine. As we continue to learn from this New Testament book, we'll also discover the gospel's powerful message throughout and discover practical life application with it as well. We pray Eddie's message on running the race has been an encouragement to you. 
and that you're eager to learn more about the gospel message and how it applies to you. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad that you are one of our listeners. We'd also like to encourage you to find a local church where you can be part of a community that's growing together in faith. With that in mind, here's Tracy. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on service times. Thanks, Tracy. That website once again is runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to more messages by Eddie or download them to take with you on the go. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more on the Book of Romans right here on Running the Race. I'm